0: There's an old song by the Canadian band Spirit of the West called Political. And I've been thinking about it as we, as I prepared to speak to our next guest. Uh, hello. Welcome to the full comment podcast. My name is Brian Lilly, your host. And our, our next guest is going to, we're, we're going to delve into the issue of politics in schools. And the reason that song Political by Spirit of the West was, was in my head is because it was, it's a song about a breakup. A breakup because everything was so political that the couple just couldn't handle it anymore. And that's kind of what happened to Chanel Fall, a woman who used to teach in the public school system and is currently not teaching. We'll get into that in a moment. Before I bring on Chanel, though, I do want to remind you, you can subscribe. Please do subscribe to the Full Comment Podcast. Hit the subscribe button on whatever device you're listening on. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Amazon, Spotify, all the usual platforms, hit subscribe, leave a comment. And if you like what you're hearing, then please share it around. So a couple of years back, Chanel Fall was teaching, minding her own business at school, um, but getting a little bothered by some of the politics. And then she posted something on Facebook that led to a complaint being filed and then a suspension because her Facebook post was not politically correct. Chanel Fall joins me now from Ottawa this morning. Uh, good day.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me on. I think this is a really important uh, topic to discuss today.
0: Let's um, give me the the elevator pitch version of what happened to you. you know, Because I, w- I wanna get into how you got into teaching and where things changed for you. But did I describe it accurately? You you made a post that somebody didn't like and, and that started uh, problems for you in the teaching profession?
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, It was in February 2021. I had recently kind of woken up to everything that was going on before that. I um, like it was, I'd say in the summer of 2020, that I kind of started to see things differently. But um, I started speaking out against it very carefully. I I knew what kind of environment uh, I was, you know, getting getting into. Um, And I made one post one day, it was a private Facebook group. And what I said was essentially that we shouldn't indoctrinate kids with critical race theory. Um, we should teach them how to think and not what to think. And anyways, some a teacher I had never spoken with before, she, she saw that, she thought it was harmful and offensive. So she reported me to my principal. The next day at school, I got a letter um, informing me that I was under investigation. And as you said, that ended up landing me with a suspension. Um, it ended up landing me with uh, another investigation. Anyway, it's been ongoing ever since. I'm still being investigated uh, today.
0: You said that things changed for you. How would you describe yourself when you got into teaching? Like what what attracted you to teaching? <laughs> because people often go in for a specific reason, often an idealistic reason. Um, what was it for you that drew you to teaching? And then we'll talk about what changed after.
1: Well, I knew I wanted to be a teacher since I was probably in grade 10. Um, I don't know exactly what it was, but I know I, I grew up in a big family. I had a lot of younger cousins, so I was always naturally the one who would organize activities for us to do when we got together. I would I just loved doing that, and um, and then I guess I got to high school, I really, really liked my biology classes. And I thought it would be just a the, the best path for me to dive into that deeper and then to teach that um, to high school students. So I went for it. I, I I would say probably the best word to describe myself at the time in university and in my first years of teaching would be sheltered. <laughs> Because I wasn't ideologically driven per se, but I was not really aware of the political landscape that much. I kind of just went along with things. I didn't really do do too much of my own thinking, if that makes sense.
0: It, it does. So then I, I, I guess if there were politics at play when you first started teaching, that you wouldn't necessarily have noticed or cared or been bothered. Would you say that's accurate?
1: yeah I think the this ideology does a really good job at kind of hiding in the shadows it It is covered up with really pretty language of being inclusive and not being racist and all that, which obviously most people would agree with um so it's it's kind of it's easy to let it kind of slide by and you just think you're being a good person and you you agree to it to a certain point, but if you really really get to thinking about it. It starts to raise a couple red flags, and you start to realize that anybody who objects to the ideology in any way is, uh, you know, an outcast and has to be shamed. And um, that kind of thing I didn't agree with at all. Um, So I would say one of the moments that shifted my thinking the most was the summer of 2020 when um, one of my old professors got canceled. And uh, I respected that man a lot he had supervised my thesis he was a really really good professor and all he said was that all lives mattered and people just came at him he ended up losing his job so um i stood up for him at that time and i remember being deleted by a handful of people on facebook and i thought what is going on here you know so that was one of the moments that really shifted me
0: what was it that got the professor cancelled
1: uh, it was a tweet. So it was after the George Floyd uh, murder. Uh, he put out a tweet. He's an evolutionary biologist. So he said something along the lines of, um, you know, like, racism is stupid. We are all evolved from single-celled organisms. Um, all lives matter. He hashtagged all lives matter. So he was supporting the movement. He was saying racism is stupid. We all have to treat each other like human beings and get along and and not be racist, you know? And um, I guess he he didn't understand the subtlety of of what that All Lives Matter hashtag had come to mean. It was now a racist
0: thing to say. And, And yet knowing that, you still made a post that led to you not being fully cancelled, but in some ways cancelled. Did you not get the memo? You're not supposed to do that? You're not supposed to go offside of of what is allowed?
1: (laughs) That's a good point. Yes, I did get the memo and I did know that there was risk involved. And I guess the the reason that I did it anyway is that I got more afraid of the alternative. Um, At a certain point, I started to think about uh, what happens when you know, societies devolve into this authoritarian kind of totalitarianism where everybody's lying and everybody has to think the same thing. And we cannot have opposing views anymore. And that got to be even scarier than me just losing my job. It was me losing my whole society, you know.
0: What do you mean by losing your whole society? You you felt pushed out not just of teaching?
1: Well, I felt like this was a, a bigger risk. It wasn't just about myself. It was about our institutions and and the basic principles that we were destroying in the name of this ideology. Um, I, I really felt that, you know, in 10 years or 20 years, our society look nothing like it does today if everybody just um, decides that they're going to shut off their brain and just go along with whatever the activists say, even when um, it leads to situations like... Um, canceling someone for saying that all lives matter. Um, that's just not a, a good way to um, for society to, to go forward.
0: What was it that in critical race theory that that was bothering you? what specifically I, you know because look, this has been hotly debated and I've had people tell me critical race theory doesn't exist. Well, that's not true. It's a theory that's been around for decades. People have said it's not taught in schools. Um, We know that's not true because teachers like yourself come forward and say, hey, wait a minute, I'm not comfortable with this. So beyond teaching kids that racism is wrong, which I don't know... Well, actually, I do hear from some, some crazy people via email now and again who are racists. But most people in civil society, regardless of politics, religion, background they don't subscribe to racism as a way to live so you know it, it is the overwhelmingly popular position that racism is bad so what are what is it that CRT was uh, or you were being asked to teach in critical race theory that was bothering you
1: well i think what it is is the word racist is is now uh, now means something different than than it used to mean so most people when they say that they support these anti racism uh, initiatives. What they're saying is they want to treat everyone the same, regardless of their skin color, and we're all human beings. We all have the same opportunities, which is fine, and most people would support that. Um, but you get the activists who now have redefined racism, and they've they've now it means something like um, this ever-present um, societal like, force that's always lingering in the background somewhere. Every single situation has racism in it. You just got to find it. Um, and it's not necessarily individual behavior even. So you, you might not even know that you're participating in the racism, but it is just there. And now if you ask them to substantiate their claims and you say, you know, what's an example of racism or how, how do you know that our society is racist? Why are you so um, sure of this? All they, they can ever point to is differential group outcomes. That's all they have. So if you look at the um, anti-racism professional advisory that the Ontario College of Teachers put out uh, in September 2020, I believe, they have examples in there to, uh, well, to, to uh, justify kind of their, their position on this. And what they've put forward is, okay, here are examples. We have black kids are being suspended at a higher rate than white kids, or black kids aren't succeeding as well than uh, as white students, um, things like that. And, you know, any respectable academic will look at that statistic and say, okay, what is causing this? And they can look at multiple factors, right? They can do a multivariate analysis and determine, okay, what is, what is contributing to this? What does, what does the family, the average family of a black student versus a white student look like? How, how um, you know, what, what's playing into this? Let's figure it out so that we can actually um, solve it. But uh, the critical race theorists believe that it's all due to racism, it's all discrimination, and bias, and the solution is to put in more anti discrimination, anti bias training, and then uh, somehow these, um, you know, group outcome differences are going to all even out.
0: Well, well, what if it's socioeconomic factors? You know, I'm thinking of um, some neighborhoods in Toronto mm-hmm. uh, with large black populations that are economically they're at the bottom. And that leads to a lot of outcomes. You know, if you read, follow the social science on it, if you just completely discount the socioeconomic and say, well, no, it's just racism, then you're not going to address the socioeconomic factors that are actually at the core of it.
1: Exactly. And these socioeconomic factors would affect people of all races, right? So a lot of people are, you, you know, really disadvantaged uh, white folks who have no money whatsoever. They're living paycheck to paycheck. They they can hardly, you know, sustain themselves. And then they're being told at school, you know, when maybe they might, might not even have a lunch that day, they're being told that they have all the power and privilege in society. Um, I mean, what does this do for a child's mental health? What does it do for their, um, you know, their just their sense of identity in the world and their their motivation like it's
0: did you see it create division among students in in class
1: um i would say so i think um like i haven't been in a classroom now for a year and a half so it's hard to really know exactly how it is today but i will say that from the time i started teaching to the time i stopped which is four years um I found that students were more reluctant to share their, their opinions by the end of it than when I started. Um, I think there's this self-censorship going on, which is um, just really impacting how students can, can learn to think, you know, in a classroom. Like, it's, they just have to hold it back. Unless, it's, unless their opinion is consistent with the ideology, they are too scared to
0: share it. We saw that recently with the story um, in the Ottawa Valley mm. um, student in small town of Renfrew. Uh, no, no insult to Renfrew, but, um, you know, compared to big cities, it's, it's fairly small, uh, small community. And a student there at a Catholic high school was suspended for saying there are only two genders. And then when he decided to come back to class because he wanted to go to school again, Uh, But he hadn't apologized and met all the other criteria. So suspension was still on. He was actually, he was arrested. Um, That student is being denied an education because he has a different point of view. Uh, He says that there are other students that are self-censoring. And that's what you found in in the classroom on, on this and I'm guessing other topics.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I get secondhand accounts from a lot of people too. Like I'm just saying what I've seen um, from my own personal experience, but I hear from teachers and parents all the time, and I get parents telling me that, uh, for example, their six year old uh, white kid now is being told by by other kids at the school that they can't play with them because they're white and things like that so and and it happens both ways, I'm sure, but this I mean, being super, super hyper aware of your race when you're six or seven, is just, it's just, it's not natural, first of all, and, and it leads to, obviously, more tribalism. And I don't think we're thinking through the effects of, of this teaching at all.
0: What's been the response from your fellow teachers? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure many of them have views on you. Some may be positive, some may be negative. Um, the positive ones, I'm sure, can't say things in public. But what's been the feedback you've gotten, both positive and negative?
1: Yeah, that's right. The ones that support me have not done so in a, in a public manner, um, really. But uh, yeah, the, the teachers that I know in real life, um, I would say that, I well, I've been deleted and blocked by a lot of them. Um, which was hard at first when I didn't really have like a, you know, a, a circle, a group that was supporting me now i finally am at a place where i feel more comfortable with my views but at first it was really um difficult to see that um i do have a lot of teachers who have reached out and they support me but as you said they can't say so publicly and a lot of them who um are a mystery to me to be honest they're still on my facebook page and they have not reached out to me at all even though they know what's happening so um i'm curious myself to know what they're thinking
0: do you want to go back into teaching?
1: I would love to go back into teaching. Um, I don't know if that's something that's going to happen for me, just because um, you know how it is. Um, you know, if they Google my name, they're going to find all this, all kinds of stuff about my political views, and it doesn't align with their their school values now. So, I, I'm not going to put my hopes up too much. Uh, But I do really hope that one day I will get hired again and I'll be able to provide uh, my students with, you know, balanced opposing views on on issues and not just push one way of thinking.
0: All right. Uh, Chanel, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, I want to ask you about your decision to run for uh, trustee and what your advice would be for people who are concerned about the direction of the education system. So, Chanel, you moved out of the classroom. You stopped teaching a little while ago, but you decided last fall to run for uh, school trustee in, in Ottawa. Uh, wh- what prompted that? Was it the direction you saw the school system going in, the issues that we were talking about that made you uncomfortable on the teaching side and, and you felt you could make a difference as a trustee?
1: what prompted it was probably a lot of peer pressure. (laughs) No, um, I had a lot of people telling me I should do it. And it was a very last minute decision. It was a few days before the election. I just thought, okay, I've never done this before. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I was in the school system. I think I have good ideas in terms of what school boards should be be focusing on and what kind of identity, identity politics we should get rid of. And I just thought, well, I'll put my name forward and see what happens. And uh, yeah, I mean, it it was a fun experience. I I really hope that more people will, I mean, well, fun in terms of, you know, I I did get smeared in media a lot and it was up up and down and all of that. But, you know, you you live and learn and and you now that's something that I've done. I've checked off my list. Maybe I'll do it again one day. Maybe I won't. But yeah. I, I really hope that people will get more involved in the local school boards um because they're making a lot of really harmful decisions at this point well
0: when you were in teaching where did you see this push for uh, politicization With, you know regardless of what type it is not just critical race theory but there's all kinds of politicization in the classroom that i see um i'm not sure that if my kids were little again that i would put them in the public school system in Ontario or anywhere else, because it just seems like a constant battle, a constant fight. You just want your kids to, to get a good education. And there's a constant ongoing whack-a-mole type um, feature to the, uh, the, the politics of it. Where did you see it coming from? Was it from the school boards? Was it from the ministry of education? You know, my experience um, both as a, uh, a parent when my kids were in school as a, you know, short time school council member. And, and from knowing a lot of teachers is that often it was the the teachers unions and the the consultants within the boards, uh, you know, they hire these consultants for everything under the sun. And you wonder why at the education budget goes up and, and, and there's no more spending in the classroom. It's going to the educrats. Um, that was my experience. The, the, both the unions and these educrat consultants, was that your experience as well of, as, as a teacher that you were being pushed from both the board and from your union to adopt different political views or, or push different political agendas?
1: Oh yeah. hundred percent. It's coming from all angles. There's the boards pushing it. They've got their initiatives all the time. Like, Oh, we've got uh, black history month here and this transphobia week here and all of anti-bullying week and all of this stuff is used to usher in the ideology um at uh, all all the time i mean um at the ocsb the ottawa catholic board they're doing standing against racism week this week after just ending their, their whole month of anti-racism in february for black history month it's just never ending so it's coming from everywhere. It's coming also from individual teachers who, um, you know, if they're active on social media and they're following the latest woke trends, they will want to um, bring that into their classroom. And the co- consultants, as you said, there's so many of them, and they are making a ton of money. Um, some of them charge from 1000 to $2,000 just for one workshop, and that's out of taxpayer money. So it's it's really a scandal. Um And uh, but I will say, though, like as much as there is a lot of pressure, there is still an opportunity for teachers in the system to not push this stuff in their own individual classrooms, as long as they be they're quiet about it. Um, I, I know a lot of good teachers who are still in the system and they're doing their best to provide some kind of balance. It's just that I guess the problem is. When you have the activist teachers who who want to push only one way of thinking, in fact, they probably don't even know what the other side is saying, um, they have to go ahead and they're encouraged to, to do that. So,
0: is it just a sign if a teacher is quiet and not political that they're necessarily conservative? Um, because, it, you know, obviously a lot of this comes from the progressive woke left, Um If you're not participating in it, are you giving yourself away as a nonconformist, as a centrist, as a a conservative or something other than the the view of the day?
1: Actually, that's a good question, because more and more what I've noticed is um, before it used to be more of an opt in method where um, you got to be you got to like step up and do more activism if you wanted to. But now it's almost like um, everyone's expected to do the activism. And if you don't want to do it, you need to opt out in some cases. Like, um, for example, if they have a day where everyone needs to wear black, which happened at the Ottawa Catholic Board um, not too long ago, maybe last month, it was United in Black Day for racism. Now, you need to wear a black shirt (laughs) because otherwise you're going to uh, you know, be, it's going to be very clear where you stand on this stuff. And it's not that you're for racism, of course, I should specify. It's, it's just that maybe you don't believe that that particular method of addressing racism is the best one.
0: You are getting sent a lot of information. And on your social media, you are now uh, posting what people are sending you. Who are you getting this from? Is, is it teachers who are, I'm not asking you to expose anyone, but... Um, but you know, is it teachers that are sending?
1: You know what? Uh, Most of the stuff that I post is just me um, finding it. It's all available online. People can do exactly what I'm doing. You don't need to be, you don't need to have any kind of login codes. You can just, you can message me. I'll tell you what I do. I'll tell you how to find it because honestly I could work at this, Um, from 24 hours a day for probably years and years and years, and I would still have way too much material that I wouldn't be able to post. It's nonstop. Every rabbit hole that I find brings me to another rabbit hole of more (laughs) wokeism in our schools. So um, I do get sent maybe 25% of what I post. Um, That comes from, I would say, probably 50-50 teachers and parents. Um, But the rest is just stuff I'm finding on my own.
0: Every time I write on these sorts of things, you know, for example, uh, um, a report that was issued by the head of Ontario's public service declaring that the entire Ontario public service is based on white supremacists uh, foundations uh, that That was a statement by one person not named in a focus group and and it became the the focus of the um, the actual report. Every time I write on these sorts of things, it's a steady stream of people saying, thank you for this. Have you seen this one? And there does seem to be an industry of consultants. And in my view, it, it, they're they're brought in to run these courses, but oftentimes they're not dealing with Canadian examples. You know, there is there are, racism continues to exist in this country, and it's a problem that should be discussed, should be uh, dealt with. But if you are constantly giving children or adults in a workplace American examples, well, that doesn't match the Canadian lived experience, does it?
1: Yeah, no, it doesn't. A lot of it is brought in um, from the States. Their examples are just all based on the same kind of thinking. Um yeah, I mean, I could name you offhand, like uh, consultant after consultant, they do the same thing. They get paid thousands and thousands. They go in there and they convince kids that, um, you know, their race is a really important part about them. They need to um, acknowledge other people's race and treat them differently on that basis. Um, it's really, really terrible, dangerous stuff.
0: What's the the worst thing that you you saw as as a teacher that that came forward? What um, what was the part that that made you most concerned for what students were going to be exposed to?
1: Um. Well, when I was working as a teacher that last year, um, I was still sort of waking up. I wasn't. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll say most of what I've found has come after I was. I had left that
0: system. Yeah. You know, it can be after you've left, but I mean, sometimes I look at, at what is there and, and I'm dumbfounded Mm. finding out that Thanksgiving is, is racist. And then you find out, well, what's that based on? Well, it's based on a schoolhouse rock cartoon Mm -hmm. version of the American Thanksgiving with the pilgrims Mm -hmm. and the pioneers meeting in Massachusetts. That's not Canada, but it shows up in Canadian, um, materials on anti-racism training?
1: Well, I'll say probably the most striking thing for me has been to see it come into math class. Um, (laughs) I mean, you would think that math and science would be, um, you know, somewhat protected from this kind of flawed thinking, um, but it's not the case. Um, A lot of math math teachers are actually some of the biggest advocates and activists that I see um, for this stuff. Uh, they they want they think that math is racist because, for example, um, in the past when grade nine math was divided into applied and academic courses, we would see uh, an over-representation of Black students in the applied course. So they figured that was racist and that math, in order to make math better or more equitable and all of that, we needed to make it Culturally relevant, they call it, or culturally relevant and responsive. So this is the CRRP um, thing that they're bringing in, which is, for example, giving more giving more uh, reference points in the questions that that might touch on uh, different cultures and um, not so much emphasis on marks and on success and just not having exams, not having standardized tests anymore. Um, I guess all of this stuff is supposed to help um, black students succeed or something. I'm not sure.
0: I, uh, well, I remember writing on that in the Ontario curriculum, their grade nine math curriculum that came out in 2021 at a time when um, most students were not meeting the provincial standard and the the curriculum read, mathematics is often positioned as an objective and pure discipline. However, the content and context in which it, it is taught, the mathematicians who are celebrated in the importance that is placed upon mathematics by society are subjective. Mathematics has been used to normalize racism and marginalization of non-Eurocentric mathematical knowledges, and a decolonial anti-racist approach to mathematics education makes visible its historical roots in social constructions. Um, if you understand math and the history of math and the fact that a lot of the, the theories, you know, people say, well, it started with the Greeks. Yes. And then we also had Arabic mathematicians, Indian mathematicians, they invented the zero. Uh, it, it has been a worldwide, uh, set of contributions that each culture is built upon. I, I don't know how that becomes white nationalist.
1: Right. And I don't know about you, but when I took math in, in high school, I never remember being told that someone was white or black or whatever. We didn't care about the race of the the mathematician we were talking about. In fact, we didn't even hardly talk about the mathematicians. We talked about um, how to do math, you know? Um, so it's really bizarre. Like, I'll read you just um, from the TDSB. They They put out a uh file online and anyone can find it it's called pedagogical considerations for equitable and culturally relevant and responsive mathematics and you know there's a list of questions there it's like a checklist and it says like for example does the task or resource incorporate a social justice perspective um, consider how the resource explores current issues uh, consider whether the the resource inc- encourages students to use mathematics as a tool to, to address and challenge injustices and propose possible solutions. Um, there's stuff like, "Have you considered how the information shows bias?" and all kinds of you know social justice typical language that that you would you would not expect to find in course like math but here we are
0: what's next for you what do you do next is it uh, get your name cleared what's the status of the investigations you're facing
1: well last month I had a bit of good news they dropped one of my investigations the one pertaining to the uh, critical race theory comment on Facebook so that was good Uh, but they just started up a new investigation (laughs) um, last week Um, and that one So the Ontario College of Teachers, so the licensing board for all teachers in Ontario, uh, so they could strip me of my license, they could suspend me, they could do all kinds of things. So their problem now um, is one tweet that I put out in October of this year when I was running for the school board. And the tweet...
0: Or October of 2022.
1: Exactly, yeah. And the tweet I put out was an email that had been sent to me by... uh, an OCDSB so the Ottawa Public Board staff and what it said was that there was a school a school board wide initiative where they would be hosting after school virtual hangouts with the, with the kids but not just any kid it was on Monday It was for Muslim kids, and on Thursdays, it was for black kids, and on Tuesday, Wednesday, it was for LGBT kids. You had to be kindergarten and up to attend. So I got that email and I posted it. And they took issue with the fact that, well, they're accusing me of having put links to the meetings in, like having shared links to the meetings in that. Um, email even though there are no meeting links in it and they're telling me that um, I put students at risk because some of the meeting codes were in the email that I shared even though anyway it's a long story but there was different sections to the emails and from my perspective I didn't I didn't share anything that I couldn't that I was told not to share so Um, yeah, now, so I guess I just wait for that and see where that goes.
0: It is, uh, it is a bizarre world for you. Uh, Chanel, thanks for your time today and, um, keep in touch and let us know where things go from here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me
0: on. The Full Comment is a post-media podcast. My name is Brian Lilly. Your host this episode was produced by Andre Pru with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. Again, remember, you can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Amazon Music. Listen through the app or your Alexa-enabled devices. And, of course, help us out by giving us a reading or leaving a review. And... Make sure you tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Brian Lilly.